Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week on Revolt Black News. They want to bury what happened to AJ. Important updates on Florida's Killer Karen case. And on Daniel Penny, the New York Marine who choked Jordan Neely to death. Some people say that this is about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. And black people across America are celebrating Juneteenth and nearly 160 years of freedom. But there's a little known country in Africa where slavery was legal well into the 2000s. The people in charge are the ones who are protecting the slave masters. Revolt Black News visits Mauritania, the last place in the world to abolish slavery. And welcome to Carmel High School. Join us on a tour. What do white schools offer their students that black kids don't get? Revolt Black News goes inside the fight to make sure black children get what they deserve. Plus, BMF actor Da Vinci is here with me in the Revolt studio. Thanks for having me. He's talking everything from his relationship with Mary J. Blige to how he's navigated a traumatic childhood in his own mental health struggles. You kind of walk around with this edge on your shoulder and you don't even know why. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Hey everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Mara Escampo and we begin with tonight's top story. They want to bury what happened to AJ. Ajika AJ Owens was laid to rest by loved ones in Ocala, Florida, just 10 days after her murder. Please don't let our baby girl's death go in vain. A change must come. The mother of four shot and killed by her neighbor, 58-year-old Susan Lawrence, a woman many in the community called a Karen. I firmly believe Susan is a racist. Revolt Black News obtained several documents from the Marion County Sheriff's Office dating back to 2021, where Susan called the police on neighbors for everything from knocking on her door to kids screaming while playing football. It is very accurate that Susan and AJ have had exchanges of words, but that is because of Susan, the racial slurs. On the evening of June 2nd, AJ's children were playing in the field next to Susan's home when she began arguing with them, allegedly becoming violent and taking one of their iPads away. When AJ knocked on Susan's door, Susan shot through the closed door, striking and killing AJ. Traumatizing AJ's kids and an entire community. I definitely believe that this is racial discrimination. It would take the Marion County Sheriff's Department four days to arrest Susan due to her self-defense claim and Florida's stand your ground laws. We know this is a racist law. We know it is applied um, in a racist way and disproportionately applied um, when there is a black victim. And so we really want the community behind us as we also call for change around stand your ground. Appearing in court wearing a bulletproof vest, Susan pleaded not guilty to a first-degree felony charge of manslaughter with a firearm, as well as counts of culpable negligence, battery, and assault. 
a judge granting her a $154,000 bond last Friday. These four children um, that AJ was the provider for, um, one of the providers for, they are now left without a mother. Their grandmother is going to be caring for them and she is going to have to leave her career to do so. A GoFundMe set up for AJ's family has raised just over $300,000. While donations for the legal defense of Daniel Penny, the man who killed a black man on a New York City subway, are up to almost $3 million. On May 1st, Daniel, a 24-year-old college student and Marine veteran, choked 30-year-old black man Jordan Neely to death on the train, claiming Jordan had been threatening passengers. I have questions about the precinct that let the killer out with no charges at all. Daniel was not immediately arrested, but after nearly two weeks of public outrage, he was charged and turned himself in. And just this week, a grand jury indicted him for second degree murder. Recently, Daniel began giving interviews, trying to get his version of the story out before an upcoming trial. I knew I had to act, and I acted in a way that would protect the other passengers, protect myself, and protect Mr. Neely. Some people say that this is about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers. I don't care if Jordan Neely was the Grinch that stole Christmas. We have a justice system. Criminals who commit a crime go to jail. They aren't put in a deadly chokehold for 15 minutes. Millions of black folks across America are gearing up to celebrate Juneteenth with cookouts, parties, and a fresh new federal holiday that was enacted just last year. It's a celebration of the day the last American slaves were told of their freedom. June 19th, 1865, a full two years after black people were legally freed by Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. But while we're celebrating nearly 160 years of legal freedom, the African country of Mauritania was the last country in the world to make slavery illegal. RBN goes inside Mauritania, where black people remained slaves well into the 2000s. In the Islamic Republic of Mauritania in Northwest Africa, slavery has been woven into the culture over centuries, as told in this documentary produced by Equal Times. <laughs> Like chattel slavery, which existed in the United States until 1863, anyone born to an enslaved person is also enslaved, oppressing generations of dark-skinned Africans known as Black Moors or Heritin. They work morning until night, tending to domestic duties and herding animals. The women are often raped, with their children born as yet another generation of enslaved. Mm -hmm. 
1981, Mauritania became the last country in the world to abolish slavery, but with no legal repercussions, the practice continued unabated until 2007, when bowing to international pressure, it was officially criminalized. But the law is rarely enforced. Through 2018, only three enslavers had been sentenced to jail time. U.S.-based Mauritanian activist Abdoulaye Soe. The law is there. It just has not been enforced by the government because of the lack of political will to enforce the law. In my mind, the reason for that is the people in charge in Mauritania are the ones who are protecting the slave masters in Mauritania. Still, the government, headquartered in the capital city of Nouakchott, continues to deny any existence of slavery. In 2018, the Global Slavery Index estimated the number of enslaved Mauritanians at 90,000 and currently ranks Mauritania third on a list of countries with the highest prevalence of slaves, behind only North Korea and Eritrea. International pressure is leading to some change. After a 10-day survey of the country in 2022, a UN human rights expert concluded that, while progress has been made, descent-based and contemporary forms of slavery continue to exist in Mauritania, and that enslaved persons, particularly women and children, are subject to violence and abuse, including sexual violence, and are treated as property. And in January of 2023, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio and Representative Mike Carey of Ohio wrote a letter to President Biden seeking temporary protected status for the more than 3,000 Mauritanians seeking refuge in their state, writing, We urge you to consider the circumstances the Mauritanian people are facing and uphold our country's commitment to the defense of human rights. <laughs> شاكي ندور حقي من اهل بولا مساكو ومن فياه ينقلع لي وحقي ذاك اللي حق طفيتي اللي كتلو مشيت بيديانا نردمها ذاك واللي شاكي منهم ندورهم يقلعوا لي حقي كامل من اهل بولا مساكو Despite such a grim reality, Mauritanian abolitionists continue working to change things. SOS Slaves, which helps those who have been freed with education and job training, was founded by the unlikely duo of formerly enslaved man Boubacar Mesoud and Abdel Nasser, a former enslaver, seen here in 2012 reuniting with someone he used to hold in bondage in the CNN documentary Mauritania, Slavery's Last Stronghold. Abolitionist Briam Del Abid, a descendant of the enslaved, is the founder of IRA Mauritania, which is not recognized by the government. Since 2008, the organization has helped free many from slavery. In 2013, Abid received the UN Human Rights Prize, and in 2016, he and fellow abolitionist Brahim Ramdane were presented the Trafficking in Persons Report Heroes Award by then-Secretary of State John Kerry. While a hero to his countrymen, Abid faces constant threats of violence and has been jailed three times for his work. Les autorités mauritaniennes développent une duplicité en ratifiant toutes les conventions internationales sur les droits, en édictant des lois 
sur l'esclavage, mais en s'en prenant violemment et de manière systématique à toutes les personnes qui s'érigent contre l'esclavage de manière pacifique. But hope exists as abolitionists like Abid and Boubacar continue their fight. I'm seeing more and more voices, especially the young youngsters, the young generation, saying this is not normal. We should do something about it. It's time to end this kind of practice. On dit souvent chez nous, tu pourras jamais être meilleur que ton père. Ce qui n'est pas vrai. On peut bien être meilleur que son père. Son père peut être un esclave et on peut ne pas être esclave du tout. Et chercher autre chose. Coming up on Revolt Black News, why are some black children in public schools being left behind? The radical change some say has to happen to reverse this alarming trend. That's coming up next. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? And a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba. Welcome back. According to research, black children are falling further and further behind in schools. What's behind the decline? Well, for starters, black schools are woefully underfunded. They're overcrowded, they're falling apart, and the system is a mess. Nobody disagrees about that. But there is a growing disagreement in the black community about how to fix the problem. Some say public schools need more resources to build them back up, while others say the answer isn't pouring more money into failing schools, it's getting our kids out of them. The Akron mom sentenced to 10 days in jail for doing what she thought was best for her kids allowing them to go to a district she didn't live in. 12 years ago, Ohio mother Kelly Williams Boulder was hauled off to jail for simply using her father's home address instead of her own to get her kids into a better school. It just made a big rift in the community. An extreme penalty for doing what many parents in low-income communities have done to try and give their kids a better education. Her two daughters would end up right back in the struggling Akron Public School. I wanted my girls to see a better opportunity. And they made me out to be a, a villain. Because of disparities like this. Welcome to Carmel High School. Join us on a tour. Last December, students at a public high school in Carmel, Indiana, posted a TikTok video of their school. This is the auditorium. Showing off the 10,000 seat auditorium, recording studio, multiple gyms, planetarium, and even a cafe. The video immediately went viral, with many black parents noting the public schools in their neighborhood look nothing like this. So I live 30 minutes from this high school. Join us on a tour. Many things bother me about the video. Probably the most is most high schools in Indianapolis and the suburbs of Indianapolis don't look like this. The TikTok tour of Carmel, whose student population is less than 4% black, highlighting a painful reality of education in America. Predominantly white schools receive $23 billion more in funding 
than non-white schools. Schools are primarily funded by property taxes, meaning if you live in a wealthier area, your school probably will look like that as well. Nearly a quarter of all American public schools infrastructure is reported as being in fair or poor condition. This month, a South Carolina paper reported cockroaches, mold, and sewage in rural schools. And just last year, students at Druid Hills High School in Atlanta posted this, raw sewage, rats, and mold. A new video, this one posted online by students showing the gross conditions inside of DeKalb County High School. You can't see the bottom of the pool because the pool water is um, filled with um, Prompting outrage, the school's closure, and ultimately the firing of a superintendent. It's not just the buildings that are falling apart. 86% of fourth graders are performing at grade level for math, but for black students, that number is just 55%. And when it comes to reading, compared with white students, black children score lower on reading tests from first grade all the way to 12th. It was just ridiculous to me how these children are passed through school and they can't read and write. That should cause for an overhaul of the whole school system. That makes no sense to me, but you know, here we are. When it comes to graduation rates, HBCU Money reports only 59% of black boys will walk across that stage. You cannot expect that a system that was designed on a racist, on racist tendencies to produce the outcomes that black families need. What y'all think about this little film crew I brought in here? Distracting, makes our jobs harder. But exciting, we about to be on TV. Because they are covering underfunded, poorly managed public schools in America. No press is bad press, Barb. It's a popular storyline for Hollywood. Teachers are afraid of change. They wanna keep this place tore up from the floor. Okay, just give me the signal. But a real life problem for countless families. Black parents have long sought ways to get their kids into better schools. Now, some wanna make sure that parents have the right to decide where their kid gets an education. Sending children to schools that are segregated by zip code and ultimately by race is a guarantee that those children in those schools will be underserved, overpunished, and most likely to drop out. School choice is an idea that parents should have alternatives to public school, like open enrollment, letting kids go to a school outside their zone or district, vouchers, government funding for private schools, charter schools funded by the government but independently run, and virtual schools or homeschool, both of which became more popular during the pandemic. We need public school alternatives because children don't all learn the same way. Dr. Scott Perry, founder of Capital Prep Schools, says school choice is the only answer for a failing system. Only 15% of all high schools in the United States of America are magnet or charter, yet they represent 65% of the top performing high schools in the United States of America. 15% and they represent 65% of the best schools. And there are many reasons why, but one of them is that they don't limit children based upon where they live. They teach to a particular uh, strategy or, or, or theme that engages the children and the faculty. It's not just the children, but the faculty. Sean Diddy Combs went back to school today. Black celebs like Diddy and LeBron James have both launched charter schools to uplift the communities they came from. 72% of the public supports school choice, and the number of school choice students in 2021 was 621,000, up from 200,000 in 2011. I have the most charter schools in my district than any other 
district in the state of Georgia. Georgia State Representative Misha Maynard says she went to a good school growing up only because her mom lied about their home address. But for Representative Maynard, this issue is tricky. And recently I found myself in the crosshairs of my Democratic caucus. She is the only Democrat in Georgia State Legislature who supported a recent school choice bill. It'll take public funding and funnel that towards private institutions and also leave behind the students that need it the most. It's something we've seen all across the country. Who pays your salary? Shame on you. Republicans are more strongly in favor of school choice. Charter schools perform better because they have to compete uh, for individual students. And it has become a huge political issue. I have a first Those opposed to school choice say we need to fix our public schools, not abandon them. We want schools that work. Schools often receive funding per child. Public school advocates warn that taking money away from already struggling schools only makes things worse. What we've pushed back against is not so much charters, but against the proliferation of an industry that takes meaningful resources from public schools and puts them in the hands of private interests, unaccountable to the public. When we come back, we're bringing the battle over black children here to our studios. Opinions are strong and it may get a little uncomfortable. You don't wanna miss my next conversation. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. With funding of education being the way that it's set up, it essentially makes it so that the people that are stuck with these as their options don't end up with as good a school. And everyone deserves to have their kid go to a good school. Well, if there's school choice, they won't be stuck with those options. They can have other options. That's the whole point of that. Welcome back. Now we're going to take a hard look at why so many black students are falling farther and farther behind and what needs to be done to stop it. Joining me now for this conversation, Georgia State Representative Misha Maynard and teacher and candidate for Atlanta Public School Board, Alfred Chevy Brooks. Thank you both for being here. So Representative Maynard, I want to start with you because you voted recently for the school choice bill that was up um, for consideration here in Georgia. You were the only Democrat to vote for that bill. Why? I was born and raised on the west side of town. That area had failing schools 40 years ago. Um, here we are 40 years later, the schools are still failing. I don't believe that we need to be teaching kids in urban black communities that don't have the same resources in a suburban community or a rural community for that matter the same. We need to use some evidence-based practices to teach based on what the environment is. 
Um, and for that reason, until school boards want to change that, because ultimately they are the ones that make that decision, um, children should have the opportunity to leave. Uh, Shivi, on its face, this seems like a pretty reasonable uh, proposal. And, you know, polls do show that a majority of both Democrats and Republicans favor school choice. But you are an educator. You're in the schools. You've devoted your life to it. And right. you are against this. Why? Uh, if we were to look at any of the private schools that you could uh, have your child choose to go to, if not going to an Atlanta public school, for example, your average tuition would be about $30,000. Um, this voucher bill proposed to give you $6,500. So at the end of the day, for a parent who may be struggling with an average rent of $2,100 per month, they'd also have to foot the bill for tuition. So you're talking $7,800 a month. It's not realistic. It does not actually give choice. And I think it's actually a guise for defunding public education. And it's something that we have to be very intentional about and tell the truth about because we will cause harm if we do otherwise. Well, if we zoom out a little bit and we look at it on a national level, we are seeing that this has become a very partisan issue. And, and Republicans have found that this is actually a winning issue for them. Why do you think this has become a partisan issue and one that Republicans so strongly favor? Yeah, I think it's, um, it creates more segregation and racial divide. And what happens is that a lot of parents choose not to have their children attend public schools. But what it does on the other side of town is that it actually causes a defunding of FTE dollars, full-time equivalent dollars that you would be getting for your school per student, and it removes that money away from the school. So this is something that actually is causing a defunding of public education and is part of a bigger agenda that we're seeing nationally. And what do you make of the idea that your views are aligned with former President Trump and, and many, many conservatives on this issue? I don't think my views are aligned with President Trump. Um, the Democrats, we did a poll last year, that, and overwhelmingly, Democratic voters in Georgia support school choice. So my view is one of constituents, citizens, parents, um, grandparents that are raising their children. I completely disagree with everything that he just said. Um, if you say the word segregate, um, that means that you are segregating one ethnic group from another ethnic group. This is saying you're going to take some most often black children and put them in a more diverse environment, right? So that is not segregating anyone. That's making the environment more inclusive. Um, the other thing I just want to disagree with is there's something called a tax savings plan that anybody can um, donate to, um, to take down their tax dollars. Those funds are directly for financially um, disadvantaged students. So yes, the school choice voucher is $6,500, but there's a whole other program that can cover the rest of the tuition. The people that don't like choice, they're saying, I am choosing to keep my child in a failing school. They can make that choice. Well, Shivi, when it comes to funding, you know, federal funding for schools has increased over the last 20 years. So what do you make of the argument that, listen, if you're not using this money effectively, if your schools are still failing, then give other people a chance to do a better job? Well, I think we have to tell the truth. If we talk about how much money is being traded off, you're talking about an average investment of $22,000 per student. Yet, if you take that child out of that school, you're trading off for $6,500 to be, basically be a coupon for a private school. Um, I think it's just uh, disingenuous about what the outcomes are of these 
uh, initiatives and how it actually plays out for us. Because what happens too is that many of our neighborhood schools get closed down as we start drawing students away from many of these uh, moves to privatize education. And what that's causing is the reduction in the value of black homes and reduction of the value of black home ownership wealth. And it also removes and displaces many of us from our communities when some of these schools get taken over by for-profit entities and place students there who don't even live in the community. You know, you mentioned that you're, this is what your constituents want. And, and as I mentioned earlier, polls do show that most people support school choice. But when you look at who you're allied with on this issue, it is a lot of very, very conservatives to, to the far right. Does that concern you at all? Do you question their motives as to why they're so committed to this issue that maybe there's something else that they're actually trying to achieve here? So I'm not in their conversations. I'm not in their rooms. I don't know what their motive is. Um, if I had to step back and say, what is, why do they support this? I know that conservatives are a lot of times fiscally um, minded and they wanna know where the money is going. And so if we are spending $32 billion in education and students still can't read, if we're not educating students where they can go into the workforce and be um, tax paying citizens, that's decreasing our tax base. I don't know if that's, how they're looking at this. Um, when he mentioned the 22,000, I think we also need to mention that there's state funding, local funding, and federal funding. So if we talk about fundings, I like to use the example $16,000. If it's $16,000 per student, 10,000 stays with the school, 6,000 goes with the child. That is state funding we can't change from the state level where the federal and the local dollars go. Uh, so, uh, Shivy, because you're a teacher, I'm gonna give you the last word on this. Because we can all agree that some schools are really failing and they're failing our children. They're, they're not safe, they're not teaching them how to read and write, and parents want better for their kids. Right. So how do we get there? I believe it comes through paying teachers better. Um, we have to look at our schools as being much more than just places to uh, push curriculum. Um, they are the, the heart and the soul and the hub of many of our communities. Much of the issue is that instead of making our schools places to choose, we're choosing to go elsewhere. And we're divesting um, from our own communities. One of the greatest gifts that we've done in this nation is made sure that a public education was something that everyone can access. And it was actually one of the moves of some of the first black electives during the uh, Reconstruction era that created the public school system that we have today. And I think the worst thing that we could ever do, especially as black people, people in leadership, either in community or elected or otherwise, uh, is for us to ever turn our eye away from funding, supporting, and building up our public schools. And I will call for all of us to do much, much better than we're doing today. Otherwise, we are leading ourselves to peril. Well, we appreciate both of your perspectives. Chivi, you have an election coming up for a school board position. Yes, um, good luck on your campaign, and thank, thank you. you for being here. Representative Maynard, thank you for your time. Thank you. As well. Well, when we come back, we are going to switch gears. Kennedy Rue is here, and she's sitting down with rapper, actor, and rising star Da Vinci, and he's opening up about his road to getting his mental health in order. I was like, if I change the wiring of my brain, I can change my reality. But first, an update to a story that we've been following. This is an initial investment, let me just say that first, uh, that the president fought for. Last week, good news came to Jackson, Mississippi, when the Biden administration announced a $115 million investment to repair the crisis-prone water system that's been plaguing this mainly black city for years. I come in one day, we turn the water on, and it was black. 
It had a smell. Jackson, Mississippi's longstanding water crisis captured the nation's attention in 2021 and again in 2022 after communities were left without access to safe drinking water for weeks and even months. You can tell something wrong with the water. I don't be drinking that water. Jackson is home to 150,000 residents. 82% are black. A statistic that many feel has been a contributing factor in how long it's taken to actually fix this ongoing issue. Last December, Revolt Black News went to Jackson and spoke to people impacted by the water crisis. So the horses and cows at the fairgrounds have clean water, right. but the people everywhere else in Jackson don't. Exactly. At the time, these Jackson State University students were less than optimistic that both state and local elected officials could make things better for those suffering through this crisis every day. What have officials done? We know what you guys have done. What have they done? Argued. <laughs> the, the relationship that the capital city of Jackson has with state leadership is a rocky one. I've got to tell you, it is a great day to be in Hattiesburg. It's also, as always, a great day to not be in Jackson. Um, Do you think this would be going on as long as it has if this was a white community? No. Not at all. As the announcement of Biden's EPA funding hit national news seven months after the most recent crisis ended, Jackson Water is experiencing some pressure issues. Local news was reporting new water advisories. The city is experiencing low water pressure issues right now. The city says it needs $1 billion to fix the problem. We reached out to them for details on how the money is being spent, but they refused. Despite this, Jackson's residents continue to pay, literally. You haven't really been able to use the water for months. Right, right, yeah. Are you still getting water bills? Oh yeah, definitely. Are they discounted in any way? No, no, not at all. And Jackson's newly appointed water manager says that there are at least 7,000 properties across the city that are using water without an account. The water billing method could soon change with stern threats of shutting off customers who don't pay. This summer, he plans to survey those properties and enforce payment. In a majority black city with a poverty rate of just over 20%, residents of Jackson are getting tired. It's really sad. Mississippi shouldn't be going through nothing like this, knowing that we have kids. We will keep track of this story. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Cash Mooney from Oakland, California, and I can't wait to bring my game to the college level. It seems like actor Da Vinci is everywhere these days, and that includes right here in our studios with our own Kennedy Rue. Yes, that's right, Mara. Da Vinci stopped by Revolt when he was here in Atlanta, and we sat down for a little talk. We had a great conversation about his Hollywood rise and his amazing success, and he was extremely transparent about his struggles with mental health and the importance of mental health resources for black men. We have so much on our shoulders that we don't even know where it's coming from. But when you could pinpoint where it's coming from, it allows you to navigate better when you know your triggers and you know where this is coming from. Rapper, actor, Hollywood powerhouse Da Vinci knows all too well about triggers 
and trauma. My instincts is the only thing that I took because that was the only thing I was able to rely on. Da Vinci speaks from experience. He's continuing to process the trauma of his childhood. The son of Haitian immigrants, Da Vinci's family struggled financially and was in a constant fight for survival. As a teenager, he lost a close cousin to gun violence and watched family members spiral into self-destruction. At that point, he knew something had to change. You told Forbes that you feel an obligation to speak out about mental health because you were, quote, supposed to die or be arrested a long time ago. Yeah. What do you think turned things around for you? I was sent to Florida with my father. And I started living with him and uh, his second family. And I was in a predominantly white school. And I was so scared of my father. More, I was more scared of my father than I was the law. One time I got arrested and in trouble. And I had to go to court and community service and all that stuff as a juvenile. I was more scared of my father's punishment than I was. I was like, I would rather go to jail mm -hmm. than deal with him. I just started seeing a different life. I started reading a lot. Those kids started making fun of me about how I spoke English, because you know we 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 don't like being grammatically correct, but that's just our style, that's our colloquialism. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. But uh, they didn't understand that, so I was like, "Yeah, I got to start reading, so these white people could like, you know, not insult my intelligence based on how I speak." Yeah. And then that right there just did something else, and I started like studying Tupac. Me and my brother, we loved Tupac, and when he was incarcerated, he was reading a lot. So I was like, you know what? Started reading, 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 reading. I heard this one thing, if you want to hide something from a black man, put it in a book. Mm -hmm. So I just kept reading and then that right there just really like opened me up to a whole new world. His own evolution made him realize the impact that mental health access could have on people who come from environments like his and the one portrayed in his Stars series, Black Mafia Family. Pledge allegiance to the Black Mafia Family. To the Black Mafia Family. We talk about the stigma for black men still being so strong, despite you know us having more of these conversations. What is your advice to black men who are maybe struggling or having difficulty being vulnerable? The more vulnerable you are, is the more you open yourself up to get help. And as I, I think Socrates, he said, the admissions of ignorance is the beginning of wisdom. And admitting your ignorance is a sign of vulnerability, and that's how you can start gaining wisdom. So we just hold everything in, and men ain't supposed to cry, men ain't supposed to do this, but you're actually hurting yourself. Statistically, black men are only half as likely to seek counseling for anxiety and depression as their white counterparts. And a 2018 study by the American Psychological Association found that 26% of black men between 18 to 44 experience daily feelings of anxiety or depression are less likely to use mental health services. These issues are compounded by the fact that only 4% of psychologists in the U.S. are black. When you have a society that, that kind of hardball you a lot, you kind of walk around with this edge on your shoulder and you don't even know why. And now Da Vinci is hoping to turn hurt into healing by hitting HBCU campuses to encourage students to be transparent about mental health. You were talking about how important it is for these campuses to have a mental health institution for them to really facilitate that. Why is that important to you? Being black, in this country, we come from a lot of years of oppression, so there's a lot of forces that work so hard to keep us in a box. So we need to alleviate that and pinpoint the areas where this is coming from, because a lot of times when you don't deal with your problems, your problem is gonna deal with you. I used to struggle trying to meet the basic needs of survival. This 27-year-old spoken word artist and rapper has had quite an evolution. I see a lot of eye candy, sour power strings. When I'm with you, I feel more like me than when I'm anywhere else.
His stints on Grownish and the CW series All American paved the way to a starring role in 50 Cent's hit series, Black Mafia Family. What are you majoring in? Photography. That makes a lot of sense. That in turn paved the way for his most recent collaboration with the queen herself, Mary J. Blige, for the Lifetime movies Real Love and Strength of a Woman, both produced by Mary J. How did it come about you being a part of telling her story in Real Love and Strength of a Woman? I read this story and I really gravitated towards the story and I was like, I want to do something different. Like, I'm already, you know, a gangster right now on TV and so I was like, this is kind of fire to just show that side. How's Mary as a boss lady? Like, what was it like working with her in this capacity? Mary, Mary is great, and Mary is humble, like, and Mary is so, like, real, like, mm -hmm. like, as massive, as, as a, the big icon that she is, is like, when I'm with Mary, it's like, I chill. And like Mary, Da Vinci is a long way from where he started, going from street life to success in Hollywood which was a huge wake-up call. You told Complex that you were not bred to play on this level. Yeah. Talk to me about what you meant by that. What I meant by that is like, so the first five years of a child's life, the minute you, you get out of your mother's womb to five years old, that's probably one of the most influential states. All I saw was poverty, misery, and corruption, right? So those years, I, I never saw structure. So you not seeing that when you go into this side of life and you got to deal with accountants, you got to deal with lawyers. Like I did, I wasn't created with that intention in mind. It's a psychological warfare when you wasn't born in this place and you just you develop the mindset to have you tap into this world. It's almost like you're living two lives in one. So it's like your whole your old life. It can't even really help you here for real. So it's like I'm like I'm relearning life. I feel like I'm in elementary school again. Do you feel like there's parts of your old life or your own mentality that have served you in this new season? Or did you feel like my you had to let go of everything no, from the my, past? No, my instincts. Mm -hmm. For sure, like my instincts, what, what allowed me to save my life to know like, yo, don't go to this party because so-and-so is dead. I beat for my mans right here. And then there was a shootout there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, thank God I dodged that one. My instincts is the only thing that I took because that was the only thing I was able to rely on. Mm -hmm. So when I started realizing how powerful it is, and this is why, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, life and death lies in the power of the tongue mm -hmm. and things like that. A lot of philosophical books talk about how powerful your, your, your mind is and what you speak out. Mm -hmm. And when I started learning that, I was like, yo, I'm gonna change how I speak. Yeah. I'm gonna speak life into whatever I'm doing. And, mm -hmm. you know, by the grace of God, it's been happening. I have to tell you, Mara, the way Da Vinci has embraced taking care of his mental health is such an important lesson for us all, and his willingness to share his story is gonna benefit so many people. Thank you so much, Kennedy. There's more RBM Weekly on the other side of the break. As we get ready to celebrate Father's Day, I want to leave you with some black dad, black joy. The Dad Gang is an organization devoted to celebrating black dads, which is so important in a world where black fathers are often painted as absentee deadbeats. But their work isn't just about shattering stereotypes, it's also about supporting and uplifting each other. Their Instagram page is a beautiful space where you can see girl dads doing hair, dads being silly, dads being funny, dads being affectionate and vulnerable. Thank you to the Dad Gang for changing the way we see black fathers, but most of all, thank you to black fathers for all that you do.
Well, that wraps it up for us. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and download the Revolt app. Until next time, good night, everyone. needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off ba da ba ba ba